We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday listen to Conversation with Unc hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, Jorge, when did you get up today? Uh, how do you know I got up? I could be recording this from my bed right now. <laughs> Thanks for that mental image. Now, I kind of regret asking. And even if I'm in bed, I'm technically still moving. Really? Is your bed on wheels or something? Or you have like a flying bed? That would be exciting. But no, I'm on Earth and the Earth is spinning, right? In space. And it's also flying around the sun. So I'm still moving, right? Does that count? I mean, does your Fitbit give you steps for it? <laughs> well, I don't really believe in Fitbits. I believe in nap bits. I have one. They make one for cartoonists. Jorge, I'm a cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist and a professor at UC Irvine, and it feels like I'm always in motion. Oh, yeah? Like your mental gears are always turning? Or are you <laughs> one of those people that work on a treadmill all the time? <laughs> no, I definitely do not work on a treadmill. I work on a chair and I lean way back with a crazy, ridiculous posture that would make like any ergonomic specialist cringe. <laughs> That's what you mean by motion? That's your workout? <laughs> Leaning back for a nap? No, I mean, I'm sort of always scrambling from one thing to the other, working on this. Oops, that's late. Oh, running over here. It feels like being an adult in today's modern world is always scrambling from one thing to another. Mm, I know what you mean, but you do know you have a choice there, Daniel. 
I could retire early. Yeah, you can <laughs> you cannot do so many things. <laughs> then who would I even be, man? Who would I even be? Welcome to Existential Questions with Daniel and Jorge. Now, but seriously, welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. In which we do delve into the deepest of existential questions. Why does the universe exist? How does it all work? What is our place in it? How long will it last? How will it end? And whose fault will it be when it finally goes poof? In which we dig deep into the very smallest, tiniest little bits of that universe, ask the basic questions about how everything works, and explain all of the answers as far as we know them to you. Yeah, because it is a confusing and vast universe and it's a pretty restless universe. It seems to be always in motion. There's always something going on in the universe because, you know, it's so big and there's always, I don't know, an exploding star somewhere. There's planets spinning everywhere, asteroids flying through the sky. It does seem to be sort of in slow motion violence. You know, you look out into the night sky and you just sort of glance at it and it seems static. It's not like the stars are whizzing around in front of your eyes. But, you know, you pay attention, you see the night sky slide by. And the longer you watch, the more you notice that like crazy stuff is happening out there. Vast explosions that take millions of years, but are still very dramatic. So everything up there is actually in motion. We just sort of live in a tiny little burst of time where things seem to be stationary. Yeah. And there's not just a lot of action going on out there. There's a lot of action inside of us and in the smallest of particles. Everything is always, you know, vibrating or spinning or quantum spinning or disappearing and appearing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Quantum mechanics says that everything is in motion and has to be in motion, that nothing can actually come to rest, that nothing in the end can really have no energy. So the very nature of our existence seems to be in motion. Yeah, and it does seem like nowadays life involves a lot of moving around. You know, it seems like things are spinning and moving and changing faster than we can, get, you know, get a hold of it. And so, you know, the idea of resting or being motionless or, you know, just stopping and not doing anything is, is kind of weird, right? Maybe to a lot of people. Yeah, maybe. Though I think a lot of people did more of that in this last year than they're used to. Went to fewer places, canceled traveling, didn't go to the office as much. So a lot of people were sort of stuck in a smaller orbit than they usually are by the pandemic. But still, everybody is still moving. Yeah, it's been kind of a tough uh, year for everybody. But it's still fun to kind of think about the universe and all the things that are going on inside of it. And we especially like to ask interesting questions in this podcast about, you know, what's theoretically possible and what is theoretically impossible or what is theoretically nonsensical. That's right. And we're not the only ones wondering about those kinds of questions. All of our listeners are out there thinking about the nature of the universe and what's possible and what their experience is like in it. And a lot of people write in with a particular question when they notice that everything in the universe seems to be moving. Everything is sliding or spinning or orbiting or zooming through space. And I think this inspires people to ask this particular question about whether motionlessness is possible. Yeah, so today on the podcast, we'll be tackling the question. Can you be motionless in space? Now, Daniel, do you think people are, you know, being aspirational with this question? Like, how can I be motionless in space? Or are they asking you think the theoretical question is in, is it possible to be not moving at all <laughs> in this universe? 
I don't think anybody's asking a practical question. I don't think they're trying to develop one of those like extreme isolation pods where you can float out in space and have nothing touch you or anything like that. I think people are pushing the envelopes because they want to know what's possible. So in that sense, I guess it's a theoretical question, just like in our extreme universe podcast episodes. Sometimes you learn something about the nature of space by looking at the extreme situation and asking, what's the fastest you can go or what's the slowest you can go? What's the hottest something can be? What's the coldest something can be. So since everything seems to be moving, I think people are wondering, is it even possible theoretically for something to be totally at rest? What would that mean? What would it require? What does it reveal about the nature of the universe? Right. Yeah. Silly me to think that a physicist might ask a practical question. <laughs> Sorry about that. But it is a pretty interesting theoretical question. Like, can you be not moving, I guess? And do you think that's more about staying still or a feeling that you're not moving? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think people are asking about, is there a point in the universe that's technically not moving relative to everything else? Mm -hmm. Or do you think it means just like, how can I not have any motion relative to anything else? Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to unpack there about like the very nature of what it means to be in motion that we're going to have to dig into because I think something about this question reveals that people are thinking about speed in a way that comes naturally to them on the surface of the earth where it makes sense to talk about what my speed is. But when you go out into space, things change. Things are different. The same way that like up and down have a meaning on the surface of the earth, but don't really make sense anymore out in space. I think we're going to learn that the whole concept of velocity is a little bit different than what a lot of people had in mind. And so this is a great question, not because the answer is simple and reveals the truth about the universe, but because the nature of the question makes you rethink the whole nature of motion. Yeah. And then you have to ask the follow up question, which is, can you be emotionless <laughs> in space after learning the answer to the first question. I think we know the answer to that. It's called the movie Gravity. <laughs> oh, movie criticism <laughs> and physics all in one podcast. Seriously, nobody seems to have any emotions in that movie. They're all just like stoic. <laughs> just trying to not die, I think, in space. Can you be alive in space? That's the question they were asking. Not just uh, standing still because you're dead. But yeah, this is a pretty interesting question. And so as usual, we were wondering how many people out there had thought about this question and whether or not they have an answer that they might have thought of. So Daniel went out there into the internet to ask the question, can you be motionless in space? That's right. I go out into the web and beat the bushes for people who are interested in answering these questions for us. If you are out there on the internet and have not participated, please, we want to hear your voice, especially if you're from a location we haven't heard anybody from before. We would love to hear your voice on the podcast. So please write to us to questions at danielandjorge.com. So think about it for a second. Do you think it's possible to be motionless in space? Here's what people had to say. Well, I can be motionless if I don't move a muscle. So nothing on me would move that would qualify as motionless, I guess. But relative to something else, I would probably never be motionless because everything else is moving. The sun is moving around the center of the galaxy, the planets around the sun, everything else is moving. Even space itself is expanding. So even if I'm in a point in space and the space around me is expanding, then the things around me would be moving along with it as well. So can you be motionless in space? Yes, if I don't move a muscle. No, relative to anything else. I don't think you can be motionless in space if two bodies are passing by each other and neither is accelerating. Both 
bodies from their perspective uh, would feel that they were standing still and the other one was moving. It doesn't seem like it, since your motion would be relative to whatever was around you. So even if you're standing still on Earth, the Earth is spinning and moving around the sun. And if you're standing still next to the sun, it's spinning around the galaxy and the galaxy is moving. Um, but maybe it's possible to just stick still with respect to the, the fabric of space. Well, if I'm not moving at all, yes. But motionless, like I'm not moving from the, regarding to something like the moon, earth, sun, uh, galaxy, the galaxy cluster, Lanikia, and so on. Probably I'll be moving. Motion is relative, measured relatively to other things. So I guess you could technically, you would always be motionless and always be moving in all different directions at the same time. With space expanding, I don't know if that becomes a factor too, but probably does. I don't think that you can be motionless in space. I think that there's a reason why Einstein thought up the theory of relativity, because there is no superposition that we can use to compare positions in space against. You've only really got what you have, which is your own frame of reference, and then you compare that to something else. And because everybody else has a different reference, there is no set central position where something is not moving. If I somehow ended up in space and I wasn't moving for some reason, um, according to uh, which one? Newton's first law, um, an object that is not moving will stay stationary. Um, so I suppose if somehow, I don't know, if the Earth vanished and I was left suspended in space um, and I wasn't moving, uh, then I would be motionless in space. All right. A lot of people uh, doesn't seem to think it's possible to be motionless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's fascinating. You think a lot of people are just naturally restless or <laughs> they, uh, they have one of those restless leg syndromes? Yeah, there are all those people who are always tapping on something or got like a fidget spinner or something. Yeah, yeah. I know what my kids would say. They would say, no, it's impossible. Right now, what I would say about my children, <laughs> even if they were in space. And the kids would say like, and why would you want to? That seems really boring, right? Just lying there doing nothing. Yeah. So it's an interesting question. I guess the question sort of boils down to like, it's not about standing still, but it's more about moving, right? Mm -hmm. Like your whole body moving mm -hmm. somewhere, right? Because it, technically we are always vibrating, right? Like if we have a temperature, your, our molecules are moving. This is more about, you know, whether we're as a whole staying still or translating or moving or going from one place to another, right? Yeah, I think we should sort of like approximate you as a little dot or a point particle and ignore all the motion inside you and then ask the question, can point particle you can spherical you be motionless with respect to everything is that even possible right like cartoon jorge <laughs> so this should be easy because i'm good at ignoring all the emotions <laughs> inside of me Ooh, all right <laughs> that was a little dark no i'm just kidding but yeah it's about whether or not we're moving in relative or moving in space as a whole yeah exactly and one of the most important things to understand is that there is no absolute motion 
All motion is relative. It's always defined relative to something else. You know, people write in often and ask questions about like special relativity. And usually their questions start with something like, if I was in a spaceship and I was going really, really fast, and they don't say what they're going really, really fast relative to. You know, they have this sense that like there's something that happens when you get up to high speeds. But the thing that's missing there is like, who are you speeding by? Where are you going fast relative to? There is no sense in which you have speed other than that it's measured relative to other things or people. Right, because I guess motion is a quantity that is that can exist on its own, right? Yeah, exactly. If you are, for example, in an empty universe, right, it's just you floating in space and there's nothing else in the universe, then your speed doesn't make any sense. You have no velocity. You can't have velocity because velocity is just motion relative to something else. You know, I guess this might be confusing to people because I wonder, like, you know, I think a lot of us maybe imagine that, you know, the universe maybe has an extent, mm -hmm. like a, a limit, like a wall at some point. Maybe it's a big sphere, maybe it's a big blob, maybe it's a dome. But it has sort of like a, a shape of it. So couldn't I measure my speed or my motion relative to that shape? No, because the universe is actually symmetric. Like if you do some experiment over here and then you do the same experiment over there, you always get the same answer. There's no point in space that's different than another point in space. Like space has no texture. There's no like way to tell where you are in space. I mean, it might be that the universe is finite and has some like weird edge to it, but we haven't observed that. And the current cosmological models usually assume that the universe is infinite and that every point in it behaves the same way. Like the laws of physics are the same no matter where you are. And so you can't do an experiment to determine where you are. So it's not like you can feel space moving by or measure yourself, your location relative to some like absolute point in space. There is no absolute point, and so there is also no absolute velocity. Well, there's no absolute point that we know of, right? But could there be one if like uh, the universe does have a shape or like a wall or limit? In some scenarios, yes. In most scenarios, no. Like even if the universe is not infinite, right, it might not have an edge. Like imagine the universe is closed and finite the way it like wraps around itself. That doesn't mean that there's any special point. It can be finite and still have like no special location to it. Imagine you're like on the surface of a sphere, right? Then every point on that sphere is really the same, even though the surface is not infinite. Right. Yeah. I guess like if the universe was like a, the Pac-Man screen, then there's technically no real place in the Pac-Man screen because it just loops around forever. Mm -hmm. But I guess I'm just trying to get to the possibility that maybe there, it does have an edge, in which case there would be something like an absolute position, right? If the universe did have some sort of like strange wall as an edge to it or some like deformity in its geometry, then yes, that would break this cosmological principle that every location is the same. And then you could measure your velocity relative to that. There would be a special location in space, but still your velocity would only have meaning relative to something. And you can define your velocity to be relative to like that weird edge of space or the sun or the moon or this dust particle. But the definition of your velocity still only has meaning relative to something. Right. Yeah. Because I guess, you know, motion or velocity, it's like the change in a quantity, which is distance. So you can't have distance if you don't measure it relative to something else, right? Yeah, exactly. And this is actually really closely connected to like all sorts of interesting deep physics of the universe. 
you know, the fact that space seems to be the same everywhere, that if you do your experiment here and then you transport it 10 light years over there and do it again, that you get the same answer. That's connected to an important law of physics, which is conservation of momentum. And we're going to do a whole fun podcast episode about this deep theory of physics called Newther's theorem that tells you that anytime you have a symmetry like that, something where the universe doesn't care where you are, you get some conserved quantity, something which doesn't change as you do your experiments. So in this case, the connection is the fact that you can move from one place in space to another and not have your experiment change is why we have conservation of momentum, which is sort of mind blowing to me. But yeah, exactly. Velocity is defined relative to other things in space, not relative to space itself. Right. And and I think it extends not just to like your precision in the universe, right? Like you can do an experiment here or there and it should be worked the same, but it also comes up in doing the experiment at different velocities, right? I can do my experiments going at 100 miles per hour relative to the earth, or I can do it at 100,000 miles per hour. I should get the same results if I'm going at a constant speed, right? Yeah, exactly. If you're in a box, you can't measure your velocity relative to stuff outside the box. You can't see that stuff at all. So if you do an experiment, it shouldn't be sensitive to your velocity relative to that stuff. So the classic scenario is like you set up some experiment. I don't know what it is. It's got, you know, like balls swinging and hitting each other or whatever. And then you gently accelerate up to some higher speed, right? And the key there is gently accelerate so you don't like destroy everything. Now your speed is high relative to like the surface of the earth or the planet you were on or whatever. You do the same experiment, you should get exactly the same result. And that's not just some like weird esoteric thing that means that you can't measure your velocity. There's no experiment you could do that would give a different answer if your velocity relative to that planet is zero or a thousand meters per second. And that means you can't build a device to measure that velocity. Right. And again, this applies to, just to double check, this applies to like constant velocity, right? If I'm accelerating, then that's a whole different ballgame. Exactly. Acceleration is totally different, which is also really interesting. Acceleration is something you can measure. There is absolute acceleration. If you're in a box, you can measure your acceleration, right? You can do a simple experiment, toss a ball up in the air, and it will move differently if you're under acceleration than if you're not. And also, you'll feel it. If you're in a box and it's accelerating, it will feel just like gravity, right? Acceleration feels just like gravity, which was the whole insight which led to general relativity and that whole revolution in understanding space and time. But position and velocity only make sense relative to other things. Right. And I think what you're saying basically, just to kind of drive this home, is that like if you're inside of a box out in space, it's sort of impossible to know how fast that box you're in is moving relative to other things, right? Like if it's moving at a constant speed, or not. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to tell if that, you know, box is floating out in space or it's like moving super fast across the galaxy. Yeah, exactly. As long as you can't look outside the box. Like if you have a window, you can look outside and you can see things moving by and measure it. But if all you can do is measure things inside the box, then yeah, you can't measure your velocity relative to anything outside the box. There's no way to tell. Right. And so I think what you're getting at is that basically just the word motionless doesn't really have any meaning, right? Because you might think you're motionless now inside your box, but really you could be moving really fast or not at all or moving in any kind of crazy direction outside of that box. 
So really, the, the word motionless doesn't mean anything from a physics, math point of view. Yeah, it's either totally meaningless or it's just totally arbitrary. Like you can pick a definition of a reference frame and say, I'm going to say that the Earth is at the center of my reference frame. Now my velocity has meaning. I'm talking about velocity relative to the Earth. But you could also pick anything else. You could pick the sun. You could pick that grain of dust. You could pick a distant comet. Your answer depends on your choice and your choice is totally arbitrary and no choice is better than any other. So you can either say velocity is meaningless, right? Or you can say it only has meaning when you make an arbitrary choice of what you're measuring it relative to. Right. So basically, when you try to answer the question, can you be motionless in space? You're saying that's kind of a, a nonsensical question or like an impossible question to ask in terms of the math and the physics, because there's no way to tell if you are motionless because it depends on what you measure your motion relative to. And it could be anything. It could be anything. And even if you pick something, it would be totally different according to somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Like in some sense, the answer is trivial. Like, yes, you can be motionless in space if you measure your motion relative to yourself. So by definition, your velocity is zero relative to yourself. Boom, you're motionless in space. So that's what I meant when I said like this question is interesting because this whole question of velocity, I think people have an intuitive sense that like motion is something that you can measure, but you can't actually measure it in a pure sense. You can only measure it relative to other things. And so it becomes kind of arbitrary and unfortunately meaningless. All right. Well, I think that's a little counterintuitive because our daily experience is that we are moving on Earth and the Earth is moving around the sun and then the sun is moving around the galaxy. So let's dig a little bit deeper into these types of motions and then let's try to answer whether or not it is actually possible to get around that loophole. But first, let's take a quick break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right, it's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place 
full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities, but it can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. You know that feeling after you've done a deep spring clean of your house when you realize, wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like how you feel when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, while Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording all this? So it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Personally, I've used Mint Mobile, and the calls are always so crisp and so clear. All of their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So it's time to ditch your overpriced wireless and go with Mint Mobile's limited time deal for three months a premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash universe. That's mintmobile.com slash universe. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash universe. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Slower speeds above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, we're trying to answer the question, can you be motionless in space? And the answer is um, yes and no, or or ask a better question is the answer. (laughs) It's yes, according to our legal department, as long as you define a reference frame. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because the idea is that, you know, I can always say I'm motionless relative to whatever box I'm in, but, you know, who knows what this box is moving relative to. Yeah, and that's sort of like the abstract theoretical answer. And it's unsatisfying because there are some reasonable choices you can make, right? In theory, what reference frame you pick to measure your motion is totally arbitrary and and there's no one preferred over others. But there are things around us that it makes sense to define your motion relative to, right? You know, we have the earth, we have the sun, we have the galaxy. And it's fascinating how we are moving relative to those things. Yeah, and it's not a little bit of motion. We're going pretty fast, right, here on Earth. So what, like, let's maybe take it one step at a time. What if I define our motion as relative to the Earth or the center of the Earth? How fast are we moving? Yeah, right. Relative to the Earth or the center of the Earth, those are two different things. If you say, what's my motion relative to this patch of Earth underneath my feet? Well, if you're just standing on it, then it's obviously zero. But if you say, what's my motion relative to the very center of the Earth, then you have to measure the spinning of the Earth, right? Because the Earth is not just a ball of rock moving through space. It's also spinning, spinning pretty quickly. Like it's a big rock and it spins once every 24 hours. So that's pretty high speed. You know, at the equator, for example, the surface of the Earth is moving at 1600 kilometers per hour relative to the center of the Earth. And of course, that depends on your latitude because at the North Pole, it's not moving at all. And at the South Pole, it's not moving at all. And at the equator, it has that maximum speed. 
Right. Although I wonder if you're committing the same error that we were pointing out earlier, because you just said the Earth is spinning really fast. But don't you have to say what it's spinning fast relative to? Yeah, exactly. Like, couldn't the whole universe, like, strange coincidence, be spinning kind of at the same rate the Earth is, in which case we're not really spinning? Yes, and here we're talking about spinning relative to the center of the Earth, right? When you talk about spin, you have to pick an axis around which you're spinning. And so you're right that there's no like preferred axis there. And that's actually a really interesting question I want to get into in a future episode about whether or not the whole universe is spinning or whether the earth is spinning. It's a deep question called Mach's principle that we should dig into. But you're right, you need to pick a reference frame there. So here we've picked the center of the earth or more specifically, if we're talking about spinning, an axis that goes from the north to the south pole. Right. So we're spinning really fast relative to that axis mm -hmm. and maybe a common question might be like, why don't we feel that motion? Like, you know, if, if I sit in a merry-go-round or one of those state fair rides that spin you around, I definitely feel that, but we don't feel this crazy spinning of the earth right now. Yeah, it's really interesting. And if you dig back into history, as science was sort of like figuring out that the earth was spinning, that it was moving in this way, people realized this and they're like, well, that's ridiculous. Like if the earth was spinning that fast, we would definitely feel it, wouldn't we? And so it was counter to people's impressions. Like wouldn't we fly off into space, right? <laughs> and the answer is yes, we would fly off into space if the earth was spinning faster. You know, like if you speed up a merry-go-round and you can't hold on anymore, then you fly off the merry-go-round. Well, what's happening here on earth is that we are spinning but gravity is holding us down to the surface of the earth and gravity is more powerful than that centripetal force. But also the earth's spin is very, very smooth and doesn't change. Like if the earth was spinning up and slowing down all the time, then you would definitely notice that. But because it's very nearly constant, it just sort of gets like subtracted out from the gravity that you feel. Like you feel gravity, right? It's holding you to the earth. You notice it. If the earth wasn't spinning, there would be more effective gravity. Like gravity would feel stronger if the earth wasn't spinning. So you are feeling the spinning of the earth as a sort of like slight lessening of the gravity you feel. But it doesn't change very much. So you don't notice. Right. Which you just made me think that like if the earth wasn't spinning, we would all weigh a little bit more. Yeah. Like we would feel gravity. Yeah. We would be heavier. Yes. And you do weigh more at the North Pole than you do at the equator, but only by a very small amount. And that's why you don't typically notice these things. And that's why the whole sense that the earth is spinning underneath us feels weird because it's not something you can like intuitively grasp. Right. But I think, you know, I think you sort of hit on it when you said that the earth is spinning really smoothly, like, like, that's, I think that's one reason mm -hmm. why we don't feel this crazy spinning. But it, I think maybe the other part of it is that it's, it's not kind of like a perfect motion system, right? Like we still do technically feel things like Coriolis acceleration, right? And, and things that would happen if you were kind of in a merry-go-round trying to get to the center or trying to move around a merry-go-round. We technically still feel those weird forces. They're just kind of small relative to the size of the Earth. Absolutely. You can do experiments to prove that the Earth is spinning because a rotating reference frame is not an inertial reference frame for you special relativity wonks out there. And so you can definitely detect detect that. What happens when you have a reference frame that's accelerating and when you're spinning, that's acceleration because you need a force towards the center of the spinning. What happens when your reference frame is spinning is that you get some apparent force. It feels like there's some force doing something, even though it's just due to your spinning. And here on Earth, that's the Coriolis force. And so, for example, if you drop a rock from the top of a very tall tower, you can measure how far it moves sort of sideways in a way that it wouldn't if the Earth wasn't spinning. And, you know, it moves like a couple 
couple of centimeters when it falls like 150 meters. So it's a small and subtle effect, but you definitely can measure it. And it would be more dramatic if the Earth sped up. Interesting. So like if you went up to the top of a tall tower and you dropped a rock, it wouldn't fall straight down. It would sort of curve in this weird way because the earth is spinning. Yeah, exactly. Like imagine you're back on that merry-go-round and you want to throw a ball to your friend who's in a different spot on the merry-go-round. You can't actually just throw it in a straight line towards your friend because by the time the ball gets there, your friend will have like rotated away. So if you want to throw the ball so that it gets to your friend, you got to throw it like a little bit to the left because if you throw a ball straight while you're spinning on a merry-go-round, in your view, the ball doesn't move straight. It'll like curve to the right. So you got to account for all these things when you're throwing the ball. And so because the earth is spinning, the same effect happens when you like drop a rock from the top of a tower. Or if you've ever been to one of those cool science museums where they have one of those really tall pendulum, it's called a Foucault pendulum. But you have to say it with a French accent. <laughs> it's called a pendulum Foucault. It's an experiment done in the 1850s originally that proved that the earth was spinning because you can feel this effect on this pendulum, right? The pendulum is like a heavy weight on a very long string. And so it's sensitive to small pushes in various directions. You set the pendulum going back and forth, and then it eventually just starts spinning on its own. And that spinning, of course, is coming from the Coriolis force. It's coming from the spin of the earth. Right. So I think all these things kind of add up to that conclusion that we might feel like we're motionless here on earth. And that even though motionless doesn't mean anything, we still sort of feel motionless. But really, there are these strange forces going on, right? Because the earth is spinning and the reference frames are accelerating, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. And if the earth was not spinning, if there was no like acceleration, because remember, spin is acceleration, then there'd be no way to measure the Earth's velocity relative to other stuff. So we can measure the Earth's spin only because it is acceleration. It's not just constant velocity. That's a bit counterintuitive because it feels like it's constant because it's a constant rate of spin. But constant spin requires acceleration because it requires a force to move you towards the center of the spin. Mm. All right. Well, what about relative to the sun? That's a pretty stable and almost stationary big thing. Can we can we be motionless relative to the sun? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question. And, you know, the Earth, of course, is moving pretty fast relative to the sun. And we should be glad that we are because it's the reason that we don't just like plunge headfirst into the sun. Right. People think about like if you're near a black hole, would you just get automatically sucked up? Well, the answer is no, if you can get into orbit around the black hole. And the same thing is true for orbiting around any gravitational object. Like the reason the Earth doesn't fall into the sun is because we have high speed relative to the sun. You know, this is the kind of stuff people are talking about with these like New Shepard and Virgin Galactic launches into space. You know, people are saying that's really super cool and awesome. But, you know, all they did was sort of like go up into space. The much more difficult thing is to get up into space and then get into orbit because that requires a super fast velocity relative to the Earth. So the Earth is moving relative to the sun at like 30 kilometers per second. And we should be glad that it is because otherwise we would fall headfirst into that huge burning ball of plasma. Oh, you mean those commercial flights that just kind of dip into space? They don't like staying in space is a lot harder. Yeah, staying in space is a lot harder than like dipping your toes and then coming back to Earth. Like they were just up in space for a few minutes and they just came right back. But you know what NASA has done and even SpaceX has done is much more difficult because you need a much higher velocity to stay in space, right? Staying in space basically means falling towards the Earth and missing it, sort of like in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And to do that, you need to be moving fast enough 
that when you fall towards the earth, it's sort of not there anymore. Just like the motion on the merry-go-round. Yeah, you like overshoot it. Yeah, exactly. You overshoot it. And so that's what the earth is doing around the sun. We're moving at 30 kilometers per second, which is pretty fast. But that's the velocity we need because the sun's gravity is so strong. That's the velocity we need to overshoot it every time we fall in towards it. Wow. Well, what about relative to the galaxy? Um, can we, how fast is the sun moving relative to the galaxy? The sun is really zipping around, right? Here we're talking about gravitational systems and at the core of the galaxy is an enormous mass of stuff, right? We are sort of like out in the suburbs where there's like one star every few cubic light years. But in the center of the galaxy, things are much denser, much crazier, right? In the hot throbbing urban center, there's an enormous black hole with millions and millions of stars worth of mass, and then just lots of stars. And so there's an extraordinarily strong gravitational force on the sun from the center of the galaxy. And so the sun is orbiting the center of the galaxy, but to avoid falling into that black hole, it has to move really fast. It moves at 800,000 kilometers per hour relative to the center of the galaxy. Wow, that's crazy. Like if you plant the flag in the middle of the galaxy, that's how fast we're moving relative to that. Yeah, relative to that black hole, we are moving at 800,000 kilometers per hour. It's pretty impressive. But you know, the galaxy is so big that it still takes like 200 million years for the sun to go around the center of the galaxy. Like a galactic year is 200 million Earth years. Wow. That's a long time to wait for your birthday every time. <laughs> um, but I think the point is that, you know, you might think that you're motionless here, but actually you're moving relative to the center of the earth. And actually you might think that the earth is not moving, but then it's moving relative to the sun and the sun is moving relative to the galaxy mm -hmm. by a lot. Um, but then I guess the question is, is the galaxy moving relative to anything else? Right. I think this sort of goes back to the heart of the original question, which is like, can you be motionless in space? Can you like get away from all of this stuff? Or like the other question is like the galaxy itself, can it just be hanging out in space? So this is a really interesting question. But again, you have to measure the motion of the galaxy relative to other stuff. And so now what's the other stuff? Well, you can look at other nearby galaxies and measure like our velocity relative to Andromeda or relative to other galaxies that are nearby. But that just sort of seems arbitrary. It's just like, you know, a random galaxy nearby. What you can do, though, which I think is pretty cool, is you can find the motion of our galaxy relative to like all of the stuff in the universe, like the average of all of the things in the universe. Interesting. I mean, in terms of mass or energy or just like to think that it has some sort of like aggregate that's not moving. Exactly. We talked earlier about how you can't measure your velocity relative to space itself, right? But you can measure your velocity relative to stuff. And even though there's no preferred location in space, there is stuff in space, right? You can ask like, is there a velocity where you're not moving relative to like all of the average stuff? And so the way cosmologists do this is they look at the cosmic microwave background radiation. This is the radiation that's left over from the very, very early universe. That plasma that was hot and glowing around 380,000 years after the beginning of the universe, the universe became transparent and that light has been bouncing around ever since then. So that light sort of tells us about where the stuff was in the very early universe. And we can measure our velocity relative to this radiation, which is sort of like measuring your velocity relative to the stuff in the early universe. So while you can't measure your velocity relative to like empty space, space is not empty. It's filled with stuff. 
and you can actually find a preferred reference frame in which the cosmic microwave background radiation or the plasma that generated it is at rest. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I feel like you just kind of pulled a fast one on me. Like at first, you, you convinced me at first that there's no way to have a absolute velocity. But yeah. now and you're sort of telling me that there is kind of a way to do it if you, depending on how you define what the universe is, right? Exactly. Imagine an empty universe. You can't have any velocity in that empty universe. Now put 10 galaxies in that universe. You could say, well, I could have a velocity relative to one galaxy or another one. Or I could just say, what's my velocity relative to all the stuff? Like find the average motion of all the stuff in the universe. And you could say, that's my velocity. And it's a reasonable definition. It's sort of arbitrary, but it's also sort of not arbitrary because like there's only one way to choose the average velocity of all the stuff in the universe. Right. Because that is the universe, right? Like who cares if that space is slippery and, and undefinable and you can't, you know, measure relative to it. Mm -hmm. What matters is the stuff in it, maybe. I guess it, you know, depends philosophically if you think space is fundamental or mass is fundamental or whatever. I mean, you could also define a frame in which those 10 galaxies, your whole universe in this example is moving, right, at a billion miles per hour to the left. Uh, you know, you could define that reference frame also. The universe, theoretical physics says they're equivalent. But yeah, I think it makes sense to define a reference frame relative to all the stuff in the universe. And the crazy thing is we can kind of do that. And we can do that by looking at the cosmic microwave background radiation and asking, are we moving through that radiation at some speed in some direction? All right. Well, let's get into how we can actually tell that velocity relative to the background radiation. And maybe there are other ways to be motionless in the universe. But first, let's take another quick break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The financial universe out there can seem like a vast place 
full of scary mysteries and exciting possibilities, but he can also be overwhelming to navigate, especially when you're first starting out in life. It feels sometimes like just one wrong turn could send you hurtling endlessly towards a financial black hole. But don't worry, you don't have to navigate the financial universe on your own. With the right tools, you can master the financial universe and chart your course with confidence. Intuit helps you navigate the financial universe through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit has helped a hundred million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. All right, so it is sort of possible to define motion relative to all the stuff in the universe. Not to space, but to all the stuff mm-hmm, in the universe. Mm-hmm. You're saying you can do that through the cosmic microwave background radiation. Now that's the like the leftover light from the Big Bang. Are you saying that we can tell which way we're moving relative to that kind of glow? We can, absolutely. Because like everything else, we can measure our velocity relative to the stuff that emitted it by using red shifts and blue shifts. Like if a star is moving away from us, then the light that it sends us is red shifted. Its wavelength is lengthened. It's stretched out because that star is moving away from us. And if a star is moving towards us, then its wavelength is shrunk. It's like squeezed down. It's blue shifted. And when we measure the cosmic microwave background radiation, we notice a very, very strong effect that one side of the sky is red shifted and the other side of the sky is blue shifted. So that very clearly gives you a measurement for like, our motion through the cosmic microwave background radiation. Mm, Interesting. It's sort of like if you stick your head out the side of a moving car, you know, one side of your head would feel the air hitting one side of your face harder than it would on the other side. And then that's how you know that you're moving in a particular direction relative to the area you're moving in. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you said, well, let's fill the whole universe with air. Then all of a sudden there is a reference frame that makes sense, like your airspeed through this universe, right? And it kind of is sort of filled with air. I mean, it's not actually air molecules, of course, but it's radiation from the early universe and we can measure our speed relative to it, like the speed of the cosmic microwave background radiation wind. Mm. So like if we look in one direction, this microwave background radiation looks a little bluer. And if we looked on the other side, it looks a little redder. And that doesn't change, I guess, right? It's, it's sort of relative to what frame of motion. I guess you can measure relative to our galaxy, right? Yeah, our galaxy is moving through this. Now, Earth, of course, is moving around the sun, which is moving around the center of the galaxy. So you have to subtract that out 
but we measure this as the motion of our galaxy through the CMB. And uh, it's pretty cool. And it's also not that small. Like we're kind of clipping along through the CMB at a pretty healthy rate. Yeah, it's like millions of kilometers per hour. Yeah, exactly. 2.1 million kilometers per hour through the CMB. And for those of you who are enthusiasts about the CMB, you might know that we talk a lot about the details of the CMB, like the wiggles in it, how it's a little hotter here and a little colder there. And that corresponds to fascinating information about the nature of the early universe. That's after we subtract out this big redshift and blue shift effect. We sort of like neutralize that so we can just look at the relative variations. Here we're talking about a velocity relative to the CMB. We subtract that out and then we look for these wiggles to extract all sorts of cool physics juice about the universe. <laughs> And it uh, has a lot of vitamin C, I imagine, for Cosmos. <laughs> it's probably toxic. You know, everything out there in space will kill you. <laughs> It'll give you a good sunburn. <laughs> so you just made me think that, you know, the CMB comes from the Big Bang, which is the beginning of the universe, right? Mm -hmm. So if there was a relative velocity between the CMB, which represents the stuff in the universe, mm -hmm. and actual space, then it would have to come from the Big Bang, right? Like it would mean that the Big Bang was sort of moving relative to space when it happened. But that's arbitrary, right? The motion of the CMB relative to space depends on defining a reference frame for space which doesn't exist. So you can imagine the CMB as stationary in space, or you can imagine the CMB and the Big Bang as like moving through space at a zillion miles per hour. They're totally equivalent and you can't tell the difference because you can't define a reference frame for space. Right, but it's kind of weird to think that the Big Bang happened at a zillion miles per hour. <laughs> yeah, it is weird and it is more natural to define a reference frame for like the stuff. And it's also kind of cool because it feels like a choice was made, right? It feels like well, the stuff is here and it's not over there and it's not moving at this speed, but really it's all relative, right? It feels unnatural to imagine the stuff moving at a million miles per hour. It feels more natural to say, let's choose a reference frame where the stuff is zero. But that's sort of our intuition. It's not like physically meaningful. Mm. But so I guess then, you know, if we are moving relative to the CMB, do you know which way we're going? Like, are we moving up, like relative to California? Are we moving up, down, left, right, relative to the universe? Like, can you compute that? We can compute that. And there is a vector. It doesn't make sense to talk about it relative to California because California's direction through the CMB changes all the time because, you know, the Earth is spinning and the Earth is moving around the sun. And Yeah, it's always moving. But at any given time, you could compete like, oh, right now we are technically moving through the stuff in the universe in this direction. Yeah. Yeah, you can do that calculation. In fact, maybe we should make a website for that. That would be pretty fun for people to see where we're moving through the universe and how fast we're going at any particular time. Yeah. Now, is it possible then to be sort of motionless relative to the CMB? Like, are there spots in the universe or could we, you know, as we're moving and spinning and moving through the galaxy and the solar system, could we at some, for an instant, be not moving relative to the CMB? Yeah, that is totally possible. And astronomers and astrophysicists call this peculiar velocity because, you know, like on average, all the stuff is stationary relative to the CMB. But, you know, nothing is stationary. Everything is like swishing around and moving relative to each other. Like our galaxy and the next galaxy over Andromeda are moving towards each other, for example. But it is possible. We just don't happen to be stationary relative to the CMB. But you could like get in a spaceship fly out between galaxies, measure your velocity relative to the CMB and like perfectly adjust it so that you're not moving. So it is sort of technically possible to be motionless relative to the to the stuff in the universe. Yes. But not to space. Yes. But to the stuff that the, in, in the universe, you could 
you know, fly out there, go 2.1 million kilometers per hour in the right direction, and you might achieve a velocity that makes you still relative to the entire universe. Yeah, exactly. You would have no average velocity relative to all the stuff in the universe. You know, that wouldn't change like special relativity effects because those things are still relative to other observers and stuff like that. But yeah, you could be motionless relative to the stuff in the universe. Wow, that's pretty cool to think that there is, <laughs> it is possible to achieve that. And I wonder if we sort of sometimes sort of achieve it, right? Like as we're spinning around the Earth and as the Earth is spinning around the sun. Or do you think that because the galaxy is moving so fast that there's no way we can sort of cancel out that motion? Yeah, our motion relative to the CMB as the galaxy is much greater than even the sun's motion through the galaxy, right? Like the galaxy is moving at 2.1 million kilometers per hour through the CMB. The sun is moving at 800,000 kilometers per hour. So even if the sun was moving in just the right direction, like opposing the galaxy's motion through the CMB, it would still only reduce it down to like, you know, 1.3 million kilometers per hour. Or it could make it even faster up to like, you know, almost 3 million kilometers per hour. But we don't ever actually achieve zero velocity relative to the CMB. Interesting. But it is possible, which I think is uh, pretty cool. <laughs> But there is one last sort of confounding factor, which is the fact that space is expanding. Now, how does that affect this possibility of being motionless relative to the universe? Yeah, it confuses everything, you know, because we're not just talking about objects being static in space, right? Space is expanding, which means new space is being made between things, right? So you have a bunch of different things happening at once. You have like the universe expanding so that even if nothing was moving relative to any of the other stuff, still distances between things would be growing because space is being created between us and other galaxies, which is like a whole mind-bending concept of its own, right? But then we're also interested in that motion. Like, are we moving relative to Andromeda? Where is our galaxy going? So cosmologists separate this out into two pieces. They say, all right, this is the expansion of the whole universe, which is like happens in the same level, the same way everywhere between us and other galaxies, between me and you, between the earth and the sun, all this stuff. And then there's this sort of local motion, like we call this peculiar velocity relative to that expansion. And so astronomers define these things called co-moving coordinates, where you basically subtract out the expansion of the universe and say, let's just isolate the peculiar velocity, the stuff that's like only due to like local gravity. Mm. I guess I'm not sure quite what that means. Does that mean that it is not possible to find that spot where you're not moving relative to the universe because the universe is also expanding? So things will be sort of moving relative to you, even if you find that spot? No, I think it still makes sense. I mean, find that spot where you're not moving relative to the CMB. Now everything is expanding away from you, but that's true wherever you are. So it doesn't change your average velocity relative to the CMB because things are moving away from you always in every direction. So the average velocity still would be zero. Mm. It does mean that everything is moving away from you always. And so nothing is really ever at rest. But you can still have average velocity of zero relative to all the stuff in the universe, even though that stuff is expanding. Like imagine you're standing on the surface of a sphere and you find a spot where you're not moving relative to like all the average stuff in the universe. Now that sphere is expanding. So everything's getting bigger, but you're sort of still at the center 
of all those velocities. Right. I see. Like the universe could be getting bigger, but you'd still be still relative to all of it. Yes. Even though it's growing. Yes. As long as you're defining your reference frame to be like the average motion of all the stuff in the universe. Right. And as long as the universe is not finite, because if it is finite, then you kind of have to find the center of mass or you have to kind of find the sweet spot center in order for really to be motionless. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there is another interesting scenario, which is this idea that you can move through time or not move through time. I'm not sure. So Daniel, how does time fit into this idea of being motionless in space? Yeah, I think a lot of people think about our motion through space when they read time travel novels, because sometimes you have like your protagonist creates a time travel device and they go back in time. And then the astute reader thinks, hold on a second, if you're going back in time, aren't you going to miss the earth? Like the earth is moving around the sun. If you go back in time a month, you should be in deep space, right? Don't you need to move through time and space in order to catch up with the earth? So a lot of readers write in to me with this quibble about the science fiction novels they read. Right, because like a million years ago, the earth was not in the same spot at all, right? Because the galaxy is technically moving a couple million miles per hour. Yeah, sort of. And it's a fair point because things are in motion. And so you need to move sort of through time and through space. But again, it's of depends on your reference frame. If your reference frame is like the center of the earth, then, you know, none of that motion is really relevant and it doesn't affect like how time works or how space works. If your reference frame is the center of the galaxy, then it does kind of matter. And so it sort of depends on like when you're programming your time machine, what coordinates does it take? You know, is it taking its coordinates relative to the center of the galaxy, in which case you better be careful about how you type them in? Or is it taking its coordinates relative to the earth, for example? Right, but the problem is that the Earth is accelerating and the and the galaxies and the solar system is accelerating. So it, it would probably be really, really complicated, right, to sort of keep that same reference frame. Exactly. And so if you're going to move through time, you need to also be moving through space to make sure you land in the right spot. Mm, some good advice <laughs> for when, we, when I build that time machine. <laughs> or at least good advice for science fiction authors when you write time travel into your novel. At least make sure to include this so that our listeners don't get annoyed. Right, right. You know, you have to add the caveat that it's a space time machine, not just a time machine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Every working time travel machine is actually a space time travel machine. There you go. H.G. Wells got it totally wrong. <laughs> we should have been its titles. Too bad we can't have him on the podcast. Yeah. If we had a time machine, we could have him on the podcast. Yeah, but he would be in a totally different place <laughs> oh, in the universe. Dang it, you're right. <laughs> We'd be interviewing him from two million miles away. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that answers the question pretty well. Can you be motionless in space? The answer is no, but you could be motionless relative to the stuff in the universe, which is pretty much the universe, right? Like you could, you could technically be motionless relative to the stuff in the universe, just not relative to space. Whoa, you just demoted space to not be like an important part of the nature of the universe. That's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I think I demoted it relative to the question in the podcast episode, but no disrespect to space. I like space. I like my space. But yeah, we hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for listening. And remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Malcolm Gladwell 
from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.